we are truly switching gears now in Exodus for the last, oh, probably a month and a half. We've been involved in the golden calf story and um, I never would have expected the way that it unfolded as it has as I've taught through it, but um, it, becomes, um, uh, it becomes pretty obvious as you go through it that what the important thing is is God's presence in our, in our lives. <laughs> that when God's presence was going to be removed, that's when, when things started to change and the people realized that. And we see that verse from a couple weeks ago that God is a jealous God. He actually um, is jealous in, uh, in a way uh, toward his people because of his love for his people. It's not a wicked jealousy at all. It's the proper response to people who are, are worshiping something else. And we see uh, Moses who desires a deeper relationship with God and then ends up uh, experiencing that and you actually see the glory coming out uh, uh, from his face so that you can't look at that. And then we realize in the New Testament that what Moses was offered, we get. Moses was able to gaze upon God with an unveiled face and that's what it says for us that we can gaze in for Second Corinthians on God with an unveiled face. And just as Moses was changed and his face glowed, we become changed from glory to glory. We become more like our Savior. And that happens on the inside. Our faces aren't glowing. We have this uh, treasure in earthen vessels. But it's a magnificent story, and it just kept coming back to, as Christians, the most important thing is the presence of God in our life and desiring to know him better so that we are more intimate with him, so that we become more like him and be conformed to his glory. I even thought of something last week that I didn't even think about. You begin the story with the people worshiping the golden calf. And I'm sure a golden calf is magnificent, right? I'm, I'm, I mean, something made out of gold is pretty impressive. You end it with Moses' face glowing. The contrast between those two is, is huge. And of course, Moses isn't God. He's just reflecting a little bit of God. So what the Israelites were trading is this little lump of gold for the full glory of God. And they realized that by the end. Now, when Moses was up on the mountain, before the people began worshiping the golden calf, anybody remember what was happening with Moses on the mountain? I hope. What was God in him? He, uh, uh, what was God giving to him? Blueprints for the tabernacle. And the minute that this golden calf incident is over, he goes right back to the tabernacle. The very next thing that's going to happen is we're going to start building the tabernacle. Um, and the people are ready to give to the tabernacle because they came this close to having God remove his presence. And now God says, I'm going to build the tabernacle among you. I am going to dwell among you. And we see the people... Uh, respond. So we are going to read, it's a fairly long passage of scripture, um, but I want you to see it because there's something in here that keeps repeating itself. Um, and I'll tell you what to watch for. Um, the people are going to be encouraged to give to the work of the Lord. And they are going, God is going to encourage, Moses is going to encourage them and say, if you have a generous heart and if God moves you, and if God stirs you up, give. 
and the response of the people is overwhelming. Um, next Sunday, we have our um, harvest feast, and we're going to have an opportunity to give to a building. I don't know if there's a more providentially timed uh, passage ever in teaching Sunday school because there is a correlation here, although we'll talk about that. There is a difference between these, but I know it's a long passage, but let's go ahead and read it. The first little part um, actually sets Israel aside. We're not going to talk about it, but I will read it. It starts in 35, uh, chapter, verse 1, chapter 35, 1. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. So um, the Sabbath sets Israel apart. No other nation has a Sabbath the way Israel does. And it, we've talked about it multiple times. Uh, we're not going to deal with the Sabbath this morning, but... Um, uh, it, it is interesting that that is brought up first. They have to give themselves to God before the tabernacle is built. Verse 4, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take, a, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastplate, breast piece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps, the oil for the light, the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil, and fragrant incense and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basins and its stands, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his son for their service as priest. That's amazing. That's what the tabernacle is, okay? Now, here's the response. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair and, uh, or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. 
All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair, and the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezael, the son of Uri, Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Amahash, the tribe of Dan. He has filled him with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine twined linen or by a weaver or by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Uh, Bezael and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezael and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind God had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. <clears throat> and they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no woman, man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do the work and more. Uh, that's an amazing passage of scripture. Um, the, the, the people are asked to give and the outflowing is amazing. But what I wanna do is look at some principles here and then I wanna talk about a deeper principle of the principle of giving that comes out of the New Testament. Um, first of all, let me just say that what we are building is not a tabernacle, okay? Uh, the two do not compare. The tabernacle was the place to meet God. We can meet God here. We could meet God in a packing shed. We can meet God as believers in a field. So our building is different than that building. And secondly, I think it's important to note that there are uh, hundreds of other competing claims for our money. So we don't expect in the New Testament, in our, I should say in our times, that we're probably ever going to have the place where people are bringing so much that we finally have to tell them stop giving. It's every minister's dream, I'm sure, every building committee's dream that we could say we have more than enough, but you guys are all getting uh, probably right now letters, right? End of the year letters to give before Christmas. There's ministries all out there. I'd see several of them represented. We've got Gleanings for the hun Hungry. We have Teen Challenge. We have the work in Congo. There's places to give money. So we understand that there's other things, but what this does is a perfect model for how Christian ministries should go about um, uh, asking people to give. 
And the first thing that I see is that they only want people to give who are of a generous heart and whose heart stirs them up. Uh, that is the standard that is throughout this whole thing. Um, we want people to give who are of a generous heart. And then it says it several different ways. Their heart stirs them. Their heart is uh, moved. Or the spirit, uh, their spirit is moved. But the interesting thing is, is this is God working in them to cause them to have a generous heart, to cause them to give. Uh, when we ask for money for a project that is designed to further the kingdom of God, it should never be done with guilt, where you lay on people a guilt trip that if this doesn't happen, these bad things are going to take place. And it should never be done manipulatively to try and squeeze a little bit more money out of people. Uh, to me, that is the exact opposite of what Moses is doing. And what it does is it causes us to be the ones, the ministry itself, to be the ones who are trying to move their heart. But this is the Holy Spirit's work, and the response to the Holy Spirit's work is generosity. Um, I'm sure you've all, you all know what I'm talking about, the manipulative approach. I was at a church uh, years ago, and we were in a capital campaign, and I was in meetings dealing with that. I was too young at the time to be where I was, and somebody came in and said, good news, we have a matching gift. Somebody's pledged a million dollars and they will match whatever the church uh, gives. And I said, wow, well, this is really important because uh, you know, we need to make sure the church gives that much. And they said, oh, it doesn't matter. He's gonna give the money anyways. And I said, then how is it a matching gift? And they said, oh, he's gonna match it because he will give up to a million. He's gonna give a million and any gift that's given is matched. And I, I said, I said, maybe I'm, don't understand, but this seems deceptive. And one guy looked at me and he said, boy, you sure are naive. I was like, whoa, <laughs> does this happen other times? Because when you tell somebody it's a matching gift, the implication is if we don't give, it doesn't come in. I thought this is just flat out manipulative. We don't wanna manipulate people into giving. We don't want to guilt people into giving. We're to ask people to give based upon a generous heart where God has stirred them up. And, and that's what happens here in Exodus. And then we see the incredible response of the people. Notice what happens, and this is New Testament as well. Everybody gives what they can give. What were some of the things that were given? Besides just the possessions. They gave their skill. They gave their time. They gave their, um, their possessions and some had gold and some had wood and some had, um, had uh, yarn that they could give. And, and there's no criticism at all that some brought more than others. And then you find there are certain people that are set aside for certain things. The, you notice it was the leaders who brought the precious stones and the oil. Those would have been two very, very valuable things in that society. Uh, the precious stones and the oil, that came from the leaders. But you had men who were set aside for 
leading the project and training and teaching, but even the workmen were not tapped on the shoulder and said, come, you're good. They were asked to come and give of their skill. And, and it was when their heart moved them. So uh, this is a magnificent passage. We, of course, know our New Testament. We know the story of the widow going in with her one coin, right? And she puts that one coin in and the other person comes in and puts in a whole bunch of money and what does Jesus say? This one gave more than all the rest because she gave out of her, they gave out of their abundance and she gave um, from what uh, basically of, of what was there to keep her alive. The difference was significant. So um, this is, we are gonna be giving next week to the building project. And those of you in this class, here's what we, we should be asking, for God to move our hearts so that we are generous. And actually that should be whenever we have an appeal that comes in, that we should be looking at it. Of course, we have to be careful of, uh, if, uh, of there's so many appeals and so many places to give. Um, we have to make decisions, we have to use discernment, but it should be generous. Now, <clears throat> um, here is um, what, what I want to do next, because the passage is just really clear as to what's happening. Um, I, I want to talk and spend the rest of the time talking about New Testament principle of giving. New Testament principles of giving, which I think match up perfectly with this. Um, I have lived my entire adult life, and probably before that, under the influence of the prosperity gospel, uh, sometimes called the health and wealth gospel, and sometimes called the name it and claim it gospel, right? And basically what this says is God wants you rich, and how do you get rich? You give to their particular ministry. If you give to a particular ministry, and they have phrases, one of the phrases is seed faith. You don't really have the money to give, give it anyways, and God will multiply it. It is an investment scheme, okay? God is going to take your money and he's gonna multiply it. Um, God wants you rich, seed faith, God will bless you if you give. And this, it, it always is done with this aura of, of sort of you're giving for a purpose and that's to get back from God. And what has happened is I think we've tended to shy away from talking about what the Bible teaches about giving because this has been co-opted. But I have to tell you that part of what they're saying here is true, okay? In other words, the reason they're able to, to, to do it is because they've taken that and they've taken a little bit of truth and mixed it in with a little bit of error. So as ministers, we're very careful, as people who are leading Christian ministries, we have to be very careful to distinguish ourselves from here. But I will tell you that this one is absolutely true. Uh, God does bless us if we give. Uh, and that cannot be denied from the New Testament. 
uh, or from the Old Testament. So let's look at a couple of verses real quick, and then I want to go to 2 Corinthians, the classic passage on giving. Um, go with me to Psalm... Uh, you, we'll, we'll do... We, we're not going to have time for a lot of these. Go to Proverbs chapter 19. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 17. Proverbs 19:17 says, "Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed." Uh, when you give to the poor, now it's a little different than giving to a building, but when you give to the poor, God will repay. You're lending to the Lord, and if there's one thing that God would always do, it would be to repay his debts. Not that not that we're, he is indebted to us, but the way that language is put, you're lending to the Lord, and the Lord is, is good for it. Um, if you go to Psalm, I should have gone there, Psalms 37, verse says the wicked borrows but does not pay back but the righteous is generous and gives the righteous are generous and give that's a mark of righteousness is to be generous um, go to with me to Malachi chapter 3 and verses 6 through 12 oops I just went shooting past Malachi all right Malachi 3, verses 6 through 12, it says, um, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statues and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord. But you say, How shall we return? Will man rob, rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? in tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me for the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fare to fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, and you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now, that whole passage would need to be taught on, but the principle is they were robbing God by not giving. And God says, test me, give, and, and I will make sure to provide for your needs. In fact, you will be a blessed people. Um, jump with me to Luke chapter 6 and verses 3 through 8, uh, 38, excuse me, not 3 through 8, Luke 6, 38. Um, Luke 6, 38. Now, this is in a context of uh, judging, but it's an interesting fact. We better go back to verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. 
good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, would be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Uh, God blesses those who give, and he blesses abundantly those who give. Uh, now, that's other verses, but where I really want to camp out for the last 15 minutes here is 2 Corinthians, the classic passage on giving. You know the verse, God loves a cheerful giver. We were taught that in Sunday school. Um, the context of 2 Corinthians actually starts in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. Um, is that Paul is bring, uh, uh, taking an offering for the churches in Jerusalem. And the Macedonian church, which was an impoverished church, gave um, above and beyond. They were impoverished, and yet they were ha they, Paul had trouble, actually had to restrain them from giving. It's the exact picture of Exodus. And Paul is now going to apply that principle to the Corinthians. And Paul is going to say some of the exact same things that have been said. He's going to pull out the verses from the Old Testament. He's going to say it's more blessed to give than to receive. He's going to say that God will supply seed if you sow. He will bless you in the way that you have given. And so let's look at it. We have to go really quickly through this. Go ahead and read it yourself this week. But starting in chapter 8, um, we're going to read the first 15 verses. And I'm going to stop and comment as we go. What we want you to know, brothers, about the grace. This is 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace that God has given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. <laughs> That's a weird thing. Their joy and their poverty produced abundance. Um, it says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So they are begging to be part. And it's almost as if Paul is saying, you need to keep some money for yourself. I don't know why you have to beg to give, but they're begging to give. But now, now comes uh, Paul's um, condom, uh, commendation of them. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Um, they gave first to the Lord, they gave their heart to the Lord, and then they gave themselves to us. They allowed their heart and their spirits to be fully God's, the whole point of the golden calf story. God wants all of us. Their hearts were stirred into generosity. Now, what is the motivation for giving? And see, this is where the people here who hold to this are, are going to go astray. Um, as we read through the rest of the passage, you're going to find that there are two reasons for being generous. The first one is because God has been generous with us. And the second one is so that we can be generous with God, what God has been generous with us with. In other words, the purpose is not to get rich. The purpose is to be more generous. That whatever we give to God, he multiplies, but why does he multiply it? What are we going to do with that? We're gonna give it back. As soon as the thought goes, 
I'm going to give $100 to God and he's going to turn it into 1000 we're, we're on the wrong track. We've missed the whole point. It isn't so that we're rich. It's so that we have resources to give to others. And it comes about because God moves in us and gives us a generous heart. So generosity leads to more generosity. And it isn't always, of course, financial. It, some places it'll say that God will repay on the last day. But oftentimes it is financial. And we would be foolish not to understand that, that God blesses people who are generous so that they continue to be generous with what they've been given. So let's look at that because it is in this passage. Um, in verse 8 of chapter 8, I say this not as a command to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is generous. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The perfect example of this is Jesus Christ, who emptied himself, became poor so that we could become rich. If we want an example of generosity, there's no greater example than Jesus Christ, who because of his willingness to give up what he had, he caused there to be abundance to everybody else. Um, go over now to chapter 9. I know we're going to have to skip over parts of this. The rest of it is, uh, uh, to ne- the rest of this chapter um, deals with Timothy and some other things. But, um, but uh, jump over to chapter 9, verse 6. <clears throat> he says, the point is this. He's coming to his conclusion for the Corinthians. Whoever sows sparingly will what? reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. There's a principle of sowing and reaping. God does, uh, if we sow, if we give, God gives back. Again, I do not at any point want you to think that I'm simply talking about money. Have Have you ever observed people who give a lot of their time? And you know what you find? They have a lot of time to give. I, I don't even know how God does that. We all have 24 hours in a day. And yet there's some people who seem to have so much time to do so much for God because they've been generous with their time. Somebody who is a good listener, who is compassionate um, and, and gives of their ability to listen and, and, and counsel other people will find themselves counseling all sorts of people. God takes what we give him and he multiplies it. I believe he also does that often, I don't think every time, but often with our finances. When we give, he provides and gives back so that we have more to give. And he's going to actually say that in a second. Um, But verse 7 is the second part of this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Uh, Why does God um, cause everything to abound to us? 
so that we have sufficiency in every good work, so that we're able to give back, so that we're able to provide. Now the key is, is right here. Uh, if we're talking about next week or people are sending you prayer letters or we have some other ministry that we're trying to give to, uh, we need to offer it up to the Lord. We need to um, give as, um, we'll use the exact words, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. If you have given yourself to God first, this decision is being influenced by the Holy Spirit, just like it was up here. Um, how are you gonna know if the amount that you've come up with is the right amount <laughs> to give? Okay, it has to feel like a sacrifice, but what else? There's a real important part of this verse. I agree, I agree with you. If we're giving of our, simply of our abundance to things, then we probably aren't, we're, we're yeah. But what does it say? It has to be done with cheerfulness. All right, so you go home tonight and you say, um, how much should we give? And you and your wife come up with, or your husband come up with this number. And you say, I don't feel good about that. There could be two reasons you don't feel good. What are the two reasons? It's too big or it's too small, okay? There's a number that is the right number. And it's the number that God has placed on your heart. Now with a married couple, that's an important thing because the two of you want to talk about it. And, and pray about it. This is what I've decided. This is what I feel good about. But the interesting thing is, is God doesn't want the money if you're not giving it cheerfully. He doesn't want it. The people, I, I go back to this story in Exodus. I, I, you know, I've seen this before where a movement gets started and the people at the beginning gave and then finally people say, I want to be a part of that. And the people at the end tried to bring their gift and they couldn't bring their gift. That they, they, they were following along. It wasn't necessarily the God moving them. They were following the crowd. But if God is moving, we should be giving. And the gift that you give should be a cheerful gift. Uh, and it should be as God has moved in your heart. Um, keep reading. It says, as it is written, verse, um, verse 9, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. This is talking about God. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Um, let me just end with this. The, the key is this. We start with a generous heart, which causes us to give 
which brings us back and causes us to have a generous heart. If the giving, and if we're giving for the wrong reason, if we're giving so that we get, we're giving for the wrong reason. We're giving so that we can give. Um, if you do not have a generous heart, then you should be praying for a generous heart because that's what God wants from you. Um, oftentimes we turn this around. We say, when I have enough, I will become generous. And God says, be generous and you will have enough. Um, I was talking to a man recently who was out raising money for a, a ministry around here. And when he talked to an older gentleman and he told me the story, he said, Scott, I went to talk to him and he said, look, um, and by the way, he was being talked to because he was a man of means, right? <laughs> you don't have the head of the project go talking to just anybody. He was a man who had uh, money. And the man said, look, I just invested in a big real estate deal. And in about five years, it's going to pay off. Come talk to me then. I'll have plenty of money. He said, Scott, this man is a multimillionaire. And he is 89 years old. He has never given anything because his whole life he's waiting to be financially secure enough to give. He never was generous because he never began giving. So the pattern is exactly the opposite of what we think. We don't wait until we have means to give. We give and God provides the means for generosity. The generosity is what comes first. The giving is second and then God takes and multiplies whatever we give. And again, it may not be financial, but whatever it is, his promises are secure. We sing that song, Standing on the Promises. Whatever we give to God, he multiplies and gives back so that we have more to give to him so that he can multiply it and give it back. And when we take our stuff and we cling it like this, that's what we get to keep is whatever we have. And we lose the blessing as well. So we have not spent a lot of time at Grace Church talking about the building. I mean, we talk about the building, but there are not a lot of appeals for, for money. And there are actually people who are thinking there's no need for, for money. Um, I will tell you that there is a need. Um, we um, would like to go into that building debt-free. I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip. I'm just telling you what the case is. If you think that there is no need, then you're actually wrong. There is a need. Um, and, and you might say, but the building costs so much that my little part doesn't matter. No, God takes whatever you give and multiplies. Uh, I, I think it would be a, an amazing thing to be in that building and have never given to it and realize that all of the good that comes out of that building over the years, the generations, uh, you would be like those, um, those uh, men, people in Exodus who didn't have a chance to give to the building. <laughs> they, they, they weren't able to give to it. Um, so the, 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 the opportunity is there. Now, it may be that, that you have all these other things that you have to give to, and that's fine. This is, this is uh, what God lays upon your heart. But I would, would hope that this week, if you're married, talk to your spouse. If you're, whatever your circumstances, what can we, what can we give? Because this is an important project in our church. So 
Um, New Testament giving is something that should, I think, be taught on a little bit more, uh, but it's always taught in that context. Give, be generous so that you'll have more to give. God will always take and bless what you've given, always. That's his promise. And it ultimately harvest gives a harvest of righteousness. And I don't think that anything else you do with your money will produce righteousness. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, money does not produce righteousness. Only when we give money does God multiply that to righteousness. And so we have the opportunity to do that. Um, any comments or questions or thoughts before we end? Nothing. Okay, we've settled all of them. All right. Uh, think about it. Pray about it. Um, and we should be encouraging others to do the same thing. It's an important project. One question. Andy. I noticed in the, in the text in Exodus, it, it describes the, the contributions from the people as the Lord's contribution. Yeah. Not necessarily like my or their contribution. Yeah. You know, I saw that and I didn't, I didn't study that part. It's, I, I assumed it was the contribution for the Lord's work. But, um, and that would be, I think, another part to it. We would want to make sure, this is where the sermon comes, that whatever we're giving to is actually the Lord's work. Um, I probably shouldn't tell this story, but it's funny. I was listening to a Christian comedian who saying he goes into a store and it, at, the end of, at the end of the transaction, whatever the, the, the leftover cents are, they asked, you want that to go to the United Way? And <laughs> he didn't want his money going to the United Way because they give to things that he doesn't want them giving to. So they said, um, your bill was $18.98. Would you like two cents to go to the United Way? And he goes, no. <laughs> um, he had to make a decision because that wasn't necessary. Might be, I'm not, if some of you are involved in the United Way, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend anybody, but. But the point is, there is, I, I think there is a work which is the Lord's work, and those are the Lord's contributions. That would be my guess, but I can look at it this week, or we can study that. But yeah, there's a discernment. Is this really God's work? And I think that building is, definitely. You know, Teen Challenge is. God's doing great things there. Leanings for the hungry, bringing the gospel to the Congo. Those things are all great things. What's happening in Albania? And, and all of those things, as God lays it on your heart, what should we give? Feel cheerful about giving it and, and give it to the Lord. So, okay, let's go ahead and pray.